There's a lot more to eat than just Czech food here in Prague. Now, that hasn't always been the case. Back in the day, it was Czech food and maybe some terrible variations on what maybe you could have called Mexican food and uh, some pretty nasty hamburgers. But today, Prague has certainly become a cosmopolitan international city, especially in the food scene. I'm talking to a man who has his fingers in many pies, literally sometimes. Isaac Starobin, who is chef owner of Dirty Dog Barbecue and chef junior partner of Europe Bagels SRO, a company that runs Cali Brothers, Bohemia Bagel, and uh, the Bohemia Bagel Outpost that just opened up behind Kotva and Agave. Hello, Isaac. Welcome to Prague Times. Thanks for having me, Derek. It's great to chat with you. Thank you. And thank you, everybody out there, for listening to this episode. A city is much more than just a collection of buildings. It's a location, it's a history, it's a culture, it's ideas and ideals, and a city is also, most importantly, the people in it. This is Prague Times, the podcast that takes a look at the city of in the Czech Republic. With more than a thousand years of history, there's a lot to talk about. We'll talk about the past of Prague, but we'll also talk about the city as it is today, future plans for the city, and much more. It's Prague then, Prague now, and Prague later. And this is Prague Times. So Isaac, you're a, you're a busy man. <laughs> I try to stay busy. It's amazing. I get, I get into trouble when I'm not busy. Right. Yeah, I think that's true for a lot of us. I think you and I first met, you were working, uh, you were doing Dirty Dog at Zuna a few years ago. Remember that? Yeah, out in Troy, out by the zoo. Absolutely. This is right when this sort of uh, thing started taking off here in Prague. It was a food market with a number of different establishments that had sort of booths and then a common eating and gathering area and you could go get some of this food and some of that food and some of that food and this drink and then sit and it was just kind of like hipster food court. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how I would put it. <laughs> a hipster food court, a proto-manifesto market. Yeah, exactly. I and mean, then, of course, we'll talk about manifesto in a moment. Uh, that, that, of course, then took off and kind of became the gold standard. Zuna was, uh, it was a great idea. It was kind of off the beaten path. It was a little bit hard to get to, which I suppose was part of its charm. But I remember going there finally. I was like, okay, we got to go. And uh, and we tried one of your burgers, I think. And then it was so good, I went back and got another one. Oh, I remember that. That was like the greatest vote of confidence I've ever gotten when an American person comes back for seconds. So you started off doing basically burgers and, and getting into the barbecue thing. Why did you want to do that here in Prague? Well, that's a great question, um, and it actually goes back further than that. I, I was a, uh, most of my professional life I spent as a chef in New York City, um, mm -hmm. and then I moved out to Prague, theoretically just for a quick little break, because I, uh, I, need, I needed a break. I was burning out a little bit, and I wanted to take maybe one year and travel around for a while. I figured if I didn't do it then, I would never do it. This was back in 2008, so I, you know, that, that plan of staying here for about a year went to shit. Uh, <laughs> one thing led to another. I, I, I kind of figured that I would be staying out here for longer than originally planned. And I had to get back into the gastro business because that's what my life has been up to that point. So a friend of mine and I opened up a small bar and that went really well. But then I decided to, that I, I wanted to get back into kitchens, right? I had been a chef my whole life. That's what, that's what I do. That's what I love. So I sold the bar at a profit and opened a small restaurant. And that did not do well because I made a lot of really stupid mistakes. We, clo yeah. we closed that place badly. 
Um, in shame. <laughs> in shame, in shame. And so we kind of had to start from scratch a little bit. So what we did was we took this old van that we had, we took a grill, and we just traveled around the country cooking at every sort of, this is right when street food was becoming a thing, cooking mm-hmm. at every street food festival, every event, every concert that would have us. And from there, people started to get to know us, and they would ask us to come cater their parties and their weddings mm-hmm. and this and that. And so what started out as a couple guys in a grill turned into a couple guys in grill and private events <laughs> that grew into a food truck, um, which grew into a food truck at a couple of stands at various events here and there. And then we hooked up with the guys at Manifesto Market, and that was when I was able to uh, break out the barbecue concept that I had been wanting to do for a long time, but was unable to, because mm-hmm. when, you're, when you're traveling all over the country constantly with a tiny little van, you don't really have the luxury of doing you know, 16-hour-long smoked brisket and stuff like that. We needed that. <laughs> That's true. A home base. Uh, and just so people know, uh, Manifesto is another one of these um, sort of food markets that is uh, comprised of... Um, I guess it's something like 24 shipping containers that have been repurposed into temporary restaurants, again, with uh, common eating areas and things like this. And it is, it is quite the success. And they deserve the success. They, uh, they worked hard for that. They, they did it properly. I think there's a, a nice dichotomy between Manifesto and Zuna that you can see where, you know, far be it from me to speak badly of, the, uh, of anybody, but Zuna was opened in a very... I don't want to say Czech style, but yeah, you know what we're, we're just going to say. They opened it in a very Czech style. They, you, you invest the minimum possible amount of money. You hire a 23-year-old, tell her that she's in charge of operations and finance and marketing and everything, and you give her a right. budget of like 20,000 crowns a month to work with, and then you throw up your, your arms in surprise when it magically doesn't work, you know? Right, and then you think the whole concept was flawed, and you're like, no, no, just your execution was flawed. Exactly right. Manifesto, they did it the other way. Martin Barry, the owner, is an American go-getter, and he basically invested more money than God, put together a top-flight crew of people and said, make this happen. I want things that are above and beyond what anybody could possibly expect. Here's a budget. Make it happen. And they did. It's, it's, it's fantastic to watch and fantastic to be a part of. Once you moved in, so you moved into Manifesto, not the first round, because they keep rotating uh, venues in there. Uh, I think you were in the second second round, right? Yeah, we were in the first and the half round, basically, because I made mm-hmm. another in a series of stupid decisions. They came to me uh, and offered me a stand <clears throat> like back way back in like January of 2018 or something, six, six or eight months before they even opened. And of course, I said, <laughs> that's not going to work. And right. like six months later, it's open. It's packed every day. Uh, some of my friends in the restaurant business have stands there. They're just telling me how much unbelievable amounts of money they're working in. Yeah. And then the, the sort of uh, the breaking point came when my mom sent me an article in the New York Times about Manifesto Market in Prague. And I'm like, <laughs> God damn it. As a young cook in New York City, your, your, your dream is to see your name in the New York Times food section someday. And I'm like, I could have been there. Oh, my God. But no, I made the stupid decision not to join up with them. And that, that's what happens. So when they came back to me again to ask me to be a part of the uh, Christmas market in 2018, I was like, yeah, yeah, I think it's time. I think it's time. So yeah, you're doing the, you do this, the slow smoked brisket, you do ribs. Brisket, ribs, pulled pork, you name it. Uh, I got to say the mac and cheese is yum. (laughs) Thanks, man. Thanks. That took us a while, actually. Believe it or not, it's those simple little things that sometimes take the longest to perfect. I think we should also take a second to remember how many people start businesses, especially food businesses 
simply because they miss being able to eat that specific thing, right? Well, I think that's the immigrant story, isn't it? I mean, the the reason we've got all these Jewish delis in New York is because Jewish immigrants were like, man, you cannot get good pastrami around here. I guess I'll make it myself. Exactly right. I would bet some money that that's why Dean and Lori started making burgers 20 years ago or whatever it was, right? I feel like I've talked to them about that. I feel like that was that was part of it. And there were no good burgers. Like when I when I moved here until they opened the tavern, there were just no good. Okay, uh, Max was doing good stuff at uh, Yama, but outside of that, yeah. there were no there were no burger joints before, before Dean and Lori uh, yeah. decided to, to to make it a thing. Yeah. It, your timing kind of almost couldn't have been better because this city really transformed 2012 2013 is when it suddenly started going Rrr. so you came here like you said you had a little bit of time finding your footing and you, obviously you're allowed to make mistakes you make a few mistakes no big deal and then when you're ready you're like okay i got it together i'm ready to go suddenly the city of prague for whatever reason is ready for all of this because you know I, when I was here in the 90s, Czechs were like, no, Czech food is food and everything else is weird. And now you hear you go, hey, here's a burger. Here's pulled pork. Here's smoked ribs. And there's a massive market for it. That's enormous. And it's not just the expats, right? It's not just the foreigners. The, the, the things that they would have accepted 10 years ago, they're now throwing back in your face saying this is garbage, which I love. I love watching Czechs get uppity about what good food should be. It's, it, makes, it warms my heart. It really, really does. It, 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 it's wonderful. It's really wonderful to see. I'm not going to say it's not annoying sometimes, right, to see somebody who just discovered cheeseburgers six months ago and is now an expert, quote-unquote, on American right. food in general. But it is great to see them really taking an interest when just 10 years ago it was goulash or bust. So you've, what kind of feedback do you get? How do you get feedback from customers besides people going yum, yum, yum? I care about customer feedback in the sense that I want to make sure that each thing we put out was done exactly the way that I taught my kitchen crew how to do it. Mm-hmm. In that sense, I care about customer. I care about the individual customer, whether or not they got this thing, this item, the way it was supposed to be, according to me. What I do not care about is somebody who says, uh, this is too spicy, or uh, no, I don't think the market wants this. I, that, that, that kind of feedback doesn't interest me at all. Right, because that's not what you're doing. You're like, I'm doing my thing. Take it, don't take it. Exactly right. Exactly right. I have no interest in trying to chase the market. I, I do not want to be the French radical running down the street after the crowd saying, those are my people. I must find out where they're going so I may lead them there. I, I do my thing. If the market doesn't want it, the market's going to tell me that very clearly and I'm going to end up homeless, right? I'm going to be the first one to find that out in a very, very unpleasant way. Thankfully, that hasn't happened to us, um, and I don't think it will. Mm. But the fact of the matter is that most people don't know what they want until they have it. So to ask people who don't really know what they're talking about, do you think the market or do you think you and your friends would like this XYZ product? It's it's pointless to me. Well, especially if they don't really know what it is. I mean, honestly, if you went to our country, to the United States and said, hey, would you like to have some fat covered beef <laughs> in a root vegetable allspice nutmeg cream sauce <laughs> with cranberry a slice of lemon and whipped cream on it <laughs> they would say are you out of your mind and yet that dish is damn delicious i have is never my favorite Czech dish like that it's wonderful that's fantastic <laughs> right 
But when I describe it to people, they go, really? You're telling me to eat this? And I go, yeah, eat it. Trust me. And they go, damn, that's good. And it is. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's, 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 that's a great example. That's an excellent example, Derek. So I know a lot of people in the food and restaurant industry here in Prague and like one of the number one issues, because as we said, the market seems to be here. I don't know if it's because uh, young Czechs have traveled so much or what's going on, but there's certainly a market and it seems to be growing, growing, growing. The problem that everybody I know is finding good help. And by that, I mean people who will follow the recipes, follow the procedures, follow the instructions, do it the way it's supposed to be done, even when the boss isn't there cracking the whip. Pay more money. <laughs> I, I'd love to expand, but I don't think I can. No, it's, it, it's not all about money. It's, uh, people take pride in their jobs or they don't take pride in their jobs, right? And if you're running right. a shithole, like uh, where, where the only thing that matters is following step one, two, three, then you hire really cheap people, put cameras on them all the time, and whatever, who cares? But if you're running a place where you take serious pride in your product and your service and your atmosphere, hire people who will take similar pride. They will never take as much pride as you do because it's not their baby, but they should be taking pride in every single thing that they put out. If they don't, you never should have hired them. If you hire them and you find out that they don't, fire them. And for those right. who do take pride in their jobs, take good care of them. And that doesn't just mean financially, right? Because especially during times like this, we can't... <laughs> You know, I'm not taking a salary right now. I'll tell you that. I think most owners are not taking salaries. Mm -hmm. And that means that bonuses are also going down and stuff like that. But treat them with the respect that they deserve as human beings. And as when you hire cooks and bartenders and service staff, you're hiring people who supposedly at least have a skill set and a certain number of talents. And you got to treat them the same way that you would treat any other talented, skilled worker. You're, you're hiring professionals. And right. you may look at cooks as barbarians. And we are to an extent. We're, all, we're, 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 we're fucking savages. There's a reason we ended up in this horrendous industry, but cooks are still some of the hardest working, most talented people you'll see in the gastro business, and they need to be treated as such. So if you treat them like somebody who's totally replaceable, somebody whose opinion doesn't matter, they're going to leave, or they're going to do the bare minimum that they have to do to not get fired. And then mm -hmm. we as owners are going to sit there having our beers after work and say, oh, it's so hard to find good people, oh, cry me a river. Treat your people well they're going to take care of you and they're going to take care of your business and they're going to take care of your customers. Uh, so there's this, uh, in Slovansky Doom, there's this uh, high-end Italian restaurant, uh, Coco, I think, and a bunch of people who worked there for various reasons, for a number of years, for various reasons, they then quit and went on to do their own thing. And then they opened up all of these sort of high-quality but mid-range Italian restaurants. And I kind of feel like, too, that's what you're doing with, with this current crop of um, staff is today they're your employees, tomorrow they're your colleagues. Absolutely. Absolutely. And look, I'm, there, there's, a, there's a fallacy and there's a misunderstanding that something like, I'll speak more from the kitchen side, that something like recipes are secrets. And that's absurd. <laughs> that's absurd. Not a single one of us in this entire city is doing anything new. We're all doing stuff that has been done over and over again for hundreds of years, and we're putting our own little spin on it, and we're trying to do it better than other people. But we're not doing anything new or unique. That means that like 80% of the recipes that I have are built on recipes that I was taught by somebody else, usually somebody who I worked for. And these right. are guys who have given me their, mostly back in New York, who have given me their blessing to go out. And not only their blessing, their encouragement. Go out, Isaac. Use the skills that we've taught you. And I, nothing would make me happier than to see somebody who I who I've trained and who I've helped to mentor go out and start their own thing. 
because that's my business card, right? Anybody who's worked for me and goes out there, I, I have to only hope that they're making my name look good because they're a reflection on me. So, you know, we all have a pedigree, um, and I'm still in touch with a lot of the guys who trained me, a lot of the guys who took time out of their days to mentor me far more than they had to. Um, I'm forever mm-hmm. grateful for them. And anytime I'm in trouble, I don't know, you know, I, I, I don't know how to, I, I, I encounter a problem that maybe I've never seen before. These guys are one phone call away, right? And they, they've been in this business 20 years longer than me, and they've probably seen the problem before, and they can help me work my way through it. When I, when I think about how I'm going to treat my staff, I like to think, what if these guys who mentored me had treated me like some completely replaceable day laborer instead of taking the time to help me actualize myself. And I'm not saying I'm very good at that necessarily. There are times when I just say to my boys, shut the fuck up and do what I tell you. Right? <laughs> it happens sometimes. Like, let's be honest. Sure. Um, and I, I, I don't want my, my cooks being the new chef Escoffier. You know, I, I don't want them coming up with their own recipes, their own stuff. They should be executing my plays exactly the way that I call them. So I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm far from perfect in this sense of helping everyone who works for me self-actualize themselves. It's something I wish I was better at. It's something I wish I had more time for, but we live in the real world. Mm-hmm. That said, you got to treat them all as individuals. You got to realize who they are as individuals and what their dreams and aspirations are. I don't care about their feelings so much. I don't want to hear about their dreams for having nine kids in a cottage in the mountain. But in, <laughs> from a professional point of view, they've got dreams, they've got aspirations, and it's on us as their bosses to help them achieve that in whatever way is possible for us. In return, we can expect some serious loyalty. Mm. And, you know, I mean, it's it's such a cliche in the food business. Uh, but, you know, you hear this phrase a lot of this was cooked with love. And it sounds ridiculous that somehow if you're if you're in a bad mood, I don't know if you've ever read uh, Salman Rushdie's book, um, Midnight's Children. He, he's got a character in there who puts all of her emotions into the pickles that she makes. And so, you know, there are the pickles of rage and the pickles of despair and, you know, the pickles of disappointment uh, and all this because she's she's kind of uh, having a bit of a negative life. But the funny thing is, is I honestly think I don't know how it happens, but it seems to me that there is an element of truth to that. You can tell when the people making the food that you're eating, the specific burrito or sandwich or whatever it is, when they were if they were in a bad mood or if they were going, "Mm -mm -mm, this looks so good, I wish I could eat it myself i think you're right i think you're right i you know i try to stay away from the whole oh we cook the way that our grandma cooks for us blah blah blah. no in in the end of the day we're professionals and it's a it's a business and we're trying to put out as much high quality consistent quality food as possible in a certain amount of time it's not grandma cooking for you because she loves you that said if people are not happy the product will not be good i've been in kitchens i've worked in kitchens where that is the case and it's like you say, it's almost indefinable. It's not like you can say, hey, you're, you're doing this technique wrong. You're cooking this incorrectly. You're seasoning this, seasoning this improperly. Those are easy things to fix. It's all those little things. It's the gestalt of the experience. Millions of little things that are not happening properly. So small that you can't even really point them out. But when people are in a bad mood and they feel like they're not appreciated, they're not in the mood to work that day. Those things happen and the customer absolutely senses it. I think you're right. You can taste the disappointment. So you moved from Zuna to Manifesto. Things were chugging along. I myself went there on several occasions. And then March 2020 came, and um, 
the restaurant industry essentially shut down here. A lot of people kind of just hunkered down and waited because nobody knew how long it was going to take. But you were one of the first uh, businesses to adapt rather quickly. You immediately came up because Manifesto started saying, hey, you can do curbside pickup and delivery. And so you created like these little projects that uh, I was quite impressed with because I didn't see hardly anybody else doing something like this. You had curbside delivery, you had your own delivery people. And at one point you even had basically we'll assemble the ingredients for a dish with the recipe and then you can pick it up and we'll deliver that to you and you can finish cooking it yourself at home. Shockingly, nobody wanted that one. That, 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 that one did not work out at all. Um, that, that was like two weeks and then we're like, okay, we tried. That didn't work. Because that seems like it's a great idea. I, I thought it was too, right? I thought it was good. But yeah, and, and, and it is, other people are making it work. So this is another one of those cases where clearly the idea is fine. The concept is fine. Our execution was flawed. That's okay. We're, we're blowing past that one. We're moving on with our lives. Like you say, trying everything and seeing what sticks. Most things stuck. Most things worked. So that was good. But yeah, thank you for what you said, man. That means a lot that we, you know, we, we really did go into crisis mode and try to push through as hard as we could. And it, it worked, thank God. The reaction to the crisis was roll up our sleeves and see what else we can do instead of, you know, crying and rock back and forth in the corner. Absolutely. You have to. You have to in a case like that. And man, you said, you said and, then, and then March hit. I, mean, I will never forget that day. It was March 13th, like, 2020. It, yeah, that's exactly right. And it was like yeah, a slap. I will never forget that day, man. <laughs> it was the day that Mad- it was the day that Manifesto was supposed to open for the season. And I was so Yes, excited. that's right. I was so excited, right? We had new menus printed, every, a lot of new equipment, new items on the menu. I was so fucking excited. We had been closed for two months for the winter. You know, everything kind of shut down at Manifesto. And I was so excited. And a lot of the other vendors at Manifesto were smarter than me. And they ordered the bare minimum of food just in case something happened. Everyone knew that some sort of shutdown was going to come soon, mm-hmm. but I, 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 don't, I don't do half measures. I've never done half measures in my life. So we had like 200,000 crowns worth of inventory oh. for op- just for opening weekend because I, I, I was ready to just go crazy. The weather was beautiful and it was already prepped. We're not talking, you know, stuff that was vacuum bagged and could be frozen. Everything was already prepped. Everything was mm-hmm. ready to go. So when they announced the shutdown, Manifesto management sent out an email to everybody saying, you know, sorry, nothing we can do. Everything's closed. I immediately call up Martin Berry, the, the owner of Manifesto. I said, dude, <laughs> I got a lot of food. I got to do something with it. I'll kick you back a percentage. I'll pay you rent, whatever you want. You got to let me use my container as just a delivery point. And to his credit, he didn't even blink. He goes, Isaac, you do what you got to do. I'm going to have some of my people open and close the area every morning and night. If they can't do it, I'm going to give you a key, whatever. Do what you got to do. Protect your business. We'll figure something out. So we, uh, I got on the phone with everyone I know at Bolt and Volt and Dominic. I don't think Bolt was around. It was Uber Eats back then. It was Uber Eats. So I call, I call Dominic and Uber Eats. I call Václav and Bolt. Some guy at Dominic, who I don't know anymore. Uh, but these guys were all great. They, you know, they're getting thirty percent. Of course, they're going to be great. They got us hooked <laughs> up on tablets. That, you know, within like twelve hours. So my boy, yeah, my boys were in the stand, going cooking, cooking. I had one guy who was not into it and kept complaining. Oh, but it's not going to work. I said, you know what? Go home. I, I'm trying to keep this business from going out of business so that you guys can keep having a job. If you don't want a job, go home. That's fine. That's more money for the rest of us. That means that I might not have to completely give up my salary this month to pay your guys' bills. But then we also decided that we wanted to be able to make sales without paying that 30% commission, which is very mm-hmm. frustrating. So I, I stayed up for three nights in a row and I built a really crappy little e-shop on our website. 
and you, you mentioned that we had our own delivery drivers, and that's, that's very kind of you to say. What I, uh, I think what you really meant to say was that I was in my girlfriend's car driving around the city all day. Is that what it was? That's what it, it was. was you? <laughs> it was a ton of fun. And so I'd be like tearing ass all over the city, listening to Led Zeppelin, banging out some Van Halen, you know. And my first job in the restaurant business was when I was 16 as a pizza delivery driver for a, a local Italian joint back in Yonkers. It's like after all these years, after, <laughs> after all this so training funny. and all this work, I'm back to delivering pizzas. All right. But it was fun. Yeah, it was really. like, it was, it was such a change. And like you say, in crisis mode, nothing is real. You, you get tunnel vision. You stop seeing the long term. It doesn't matter what's going to happen next year. All that matters is how do we survive the next couple of weeks? How do we keep growing the next couple of weeks? And mm-hmm. it becomes fun, right? It becomes, it becomes a game. It becomes an adventure. It becomes a war. The definition of victory becomes something completely different. It's no longer about, are we fulfilling our strategic vision for the next decade? No, it's about what can we do in the next three days? You know, it's, it's, it's what can I do in the next 10 minutes to stay yeah. alive? It's, and, and there are certain people in the world who are built for that kind of thing. I think I'm one of them. I'm mm-hmm. a good wartime consigliere. I'm not a great peacetime consigliere in the sense that when things go back to normal, I, I get bored and I start looking for the next thing. Right. So that was a ton of fun. It was right up my alley. We, we also uh, did a couple of ghost concepts because we wanted, you know, our food is not the cheapest in the world because it's mm-hmm. very expensive for us to produce. And we understood that during a time when people are losing their jobs or having their hours cut at work, they don't necessarily want to be spending 500 crowns on lunch. So we mm. launched a couple of concepts to do a uh, slightly cheaper food that was still as high quality as we possibly could make it. So we were doing like, I don't, I hate the word gourmet, but gourmet hot dogs, smoked chicken wings with uh, a ton of different types of sauce. And we we're doing like general chow sauce, Korean barbecue, some really interesting stuff. Anything that we could do to make sure that everyone who wanted our food had access to our food. And mm-hmm. it, wasn't, it didn't have to be something just for a special occasion, which is usually what it is. And then we just, you know, we kept pushing and people at Manifesto saw that it was working. So they started opening up their stands, which mm. for me was awesome. It was great. Right? So and you were the pioneer of that. I wouldn't say we were the pioneer. We were the first ones. Um, I think other people wanted to do it. I think that's the pioneer. definition of pioneer. <laughs> I don't want to take credit for it. Though, you, know? <laughs> that <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, if I hadn't prepped all that food, I might not have done it immediately either. I might have waited a couple of weeks to see how long term the restrictions were going to be. Mm-hmm. For us, it was more necessity. Mm-hmm. Uh, for other people, they wanted to see which way the wind was blowing, I think. Mm-hmm. Then they saw it. And then uh, Manifesto had already been planning to offer bundled delivery, but this made them, this pushed up their timeline a bit, made them work a little bit faster. And that was great. So then people could order not just from us, for example, but they could order something from us, something from Ribaya Riba, something from the craft, something from these guys, these guys, these guys. And that's awesome because the joke that we like to make, which is not really a joke, is that Dirty Dog exists so that the customers of Poke House have a place for their boyfriends to go eat. <laughs> oh, it's kind of true, though. So that they can, you know, they can get their, their raw fish delivered while their boyfriends eat ribs. So all that was chugging along. The lockdown, you know, is still going on months and months and months later. Like, oh, this is not just a short term thing. It just seems like maybe this is the life now. And uh, instead of just saying, okay, hey, this seems to be working out. You then uh, hooked up with uh, Glenn and Scott and Bohemia Bago and Cali Brothers and all that stuff. Tell me about that. Just because there was a lockdown, I never, I, I never had any plans to stop trying to expand the business. This was supposed to be the year that we did a, a, the Dirty Dog Barbecue Restaurant that we've wanted to do for a long time. For obvious reasons, we didn't move that aggressively, but it's, 
expansion was still always in the cards. So mm-hmm. Scotty and I have known each other for a long time, but he started coming by uh, the stand pretty often. It was pretty clear that he was, it wasn't just social visits. And so we, we start talking. And we had a lot of, lot of conversations, both with him and with Glenn, about potentially doing a Dirty Dog restaurant together or doing a different kind of project together. But what I really liked was the idea that, so I've spent most, like I mentioned, I've spent all my life in kitchens. That's my expertise. That's what I do. The business side of the restaurant business is a bit foreign to me. I've had to kind of learn it as I, as I go. I've never had teachers and mentors in that area of this industry. And that's okay. That's pretty, that's pretty typical for chefs. But Glenn and Scott have had so much success mm-hmm. in the restaurant business itself that it was very, very tempting to partner up with people like that who I could learn from. And what they needed from me, I think, is just a little bit of energy. They have mm-hmm. so much stuff going on, right? Between Burrito Locos, that's them too. I don't have a piece of that, unfortunately, but that's them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cali Brothers, Agave, the Bohemia Bagel brand, which is also a wholesale bakery. They have so much stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they want to keep quality up, and if they want to increase sales, and if they want to expand their brands, then, yeah, I think they just needed uh, a- another guy to come in and take some stuff off of Scotty's plate, and especially some of the management stuff and some of the marketing stuff, mm-hmm. and just help push things out a little bit faster. So what was the first thing you did with them? Was it was it getting involved with the whole Cali Brothers thing, or was it the whole Rocco's thing? Was that the first thing? That came next. Uh, it was uh-huh. getting involved with Cali Brothers, because when we, Glenn basically gave me a piece of, of his equity, but he, he may be a junior partner in their, in their company. And the first thing we did was try to push Cali a little bit, because Cali Brothers is this phenomenal concept. It's sort of Scotty's swan song, right? He, he came up in California kitchens and California restaurants. Mm-hmm. And after so many years of building concepts that other people wanted to build, Cali Brothers was supposed to be sort of his, uh, an ode to the food that he grew up cooking in California. Mm-hmm. So I remember when this place opened, uh, I was talking to like Jeff Cohen and, and, and some of these other people in the business about how cool this fucking menu was. We're looking at Scotty's menu at Cali Brothers like, oh my God, this is fantastic. I came to Kelly a few times before we even started about talking about a partnership. I was blown away constantly. Unfortunately, there were some issues with consistency of product when Scotty wasn't there. And there were some issues with the marketing not being done quite as aggressively as maybe it should have been. Mm. So there's this wonderful gem of a restaurant in this corner of Holoshevitsa, and nobody knows about it, which is a shame because it really is so cool. It's eclectic modern American. Nobody else in the country is doing eclectic modern American food right now, right? Yeah. Everyone who's doing American food is doing burgers or barbecue. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. But there's so much more to American food. And Scotty was trying to teach the world that, but nobody knew it was here. So the first thing we mm. did was, you know, kind of bump up the marketing a little bit. Do a, you know, we totally redid the brunch menu together. And that was just wildly popular. And I can't wait to get that started again, which should be very, very soon. We, we replaced a few guys in the kitchen and just implement some more stringent quality control measures to make sure that everything comes out exactly the way it's supposed to. Every single time. So that no matter what, when you go to this restaurant, no matter what day or time it is, it's just as if Scotty was cooking for you personally. Right. That's, that's the dream. Exactly. Exactly. So that's, that's the main thing we're working on. Then some of these other ghost concepts that we, that we put together, like uh, Rocco's, Rocco's meatballs and subs is a, is a concept that Scotty and I came up with really late one night. A New York City style Italian joint. So that mm. means New York style pizza, meatballs, chicken parmesan, meatball parmesan, veal parmesan. Eggplant parmesan, you know, a red sauce and mozzarella joint, we call it back in New York. It's the kind of thing that exists all over the States, and you will never, ever see it in Italy. So there's, there's something both very authentic and not at all authentic about that concept. So we, we, we did it as what's called a ghost concept, meaning a concept that exists only for delivery, 
it, it's not a real restaurant. It's not a place you could walk in and pick something up. And we, we did that basically to test the market. And we found out that the market is there in a, in a limited way. Mm-hmm. Rocco's has developed a really, really cool cult following. And that's great. But in order to expand it, we need, we, we need some pretty serious pizza ovens. It's, it, it would be a pretty big project to, turn it, to flesh it out and turn it into the full concept that it deserves to be. Mm-hmm. So we're going to put that on the back burner for now. And what we are focusing on now is the revamp of the Bohemia Bagel uh, concept, revamp the Bohemia Bagel brand. And when I came out here, that Bohemia Bagel down on Masna in the center, mm-hmm. the place that is now Agave, that was my like temple to, to back home. This was years before I even met Glenn and Scott. <clears throat> that was the place where I would go when I was feeling homesick and I needed some pancakes or something like that or some eggs for breakfast, right? Isn't that funny? So you started off as a patron and now you're a partner. Absolutely. I mean, it's pretty neat how that happens. Never could have told you I'd see that coming back in, back in the day. Well, yeah, I mean, Glenn ended up closing up most of the, all the Bohemia Bagels, really. He closed them all up and that was, that was a shame to me. That was a bit sad. So mm. when we did start talking about partnering up, that was one of the first things I asked him if he would be interested in doing sort of rejuvenating that whole brand and doing it again from the ground up because mm-hmm. while it is sad that the place is all closed it was also an opportunity to start fresh right sure because there were some complaints that quality had fallen so i went ahead and i ordered some of your bagels and i have to tell you they're they're fantastic oh that's wonderful thank you so much man and that's the that's the result of i i don't know how many hours that scotty and i spent in the basement bakery right in the basement below uh cali brothers is a pretty big wholesale bakery right hours night after night after night taking this recipes making one little change making another batch and it's a it's a process right you start with a sourdough not sourdough you start with a sponge which is when you kind of let the yeast and flour and water ferment just for a couple hours so it's not sourdough Mm -hmm. but it just adds one more layer of flavor that's a couple hours then you got to ferment the dough overnight to really develop that flavor and let it rise a little bit and then you're Mm -hmm. proofing it then you're baking it it's 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 a real process just like all bread baking is but that means that every little change you make to the recipe you're not going to be able to even taste it for another two days what a lot of people will do is they'll, they'll get a recipe close enough and i do this with dirty dog all the time you get a recipe close enough and then you put it on the menu and you see and you change it a little bit tomorrow and the next day and then eventually it turns into what you want it to be we weren't going to do that with Bohemia Bagel because we knew that we didn't have that many chances left to you know, say, hey, it's back. We had to we had to really make sure it was on point from day one. I think we got there. I'm not gonna lie, we're still improving it every day. You know, every we're we're still making changes, not every day, but uh, you know, every every few weeks we're like, okay, we can, you know, maybe a little bit more of this, a little bit less of this, a little bit right. more time there, a little bit less time there. Um, to get it to really what we grew up with back in New York. That's what we're going for. And we'll, right. we'll get there. But uh, the bagels are just about the bagels, right? It's it's the breakfast, it's the deli sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Nobody else is doing deli sandwiches. So that's something that we've kind of brought to the market and that's selling incredible well and like i said before man half the shit we do is because we miss eating it right <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah exactly there's been this space behind the kotva department store over by namasi republiki that uh, rather famously had these you know a little hot dog stand or a coffee stand or a beer stand and so on and you've just opened up what i've heard you refer to as a bohemia bagel outpost a cool crew of guys who own a company called Coffee Cube opened up a sort of outdoor shipping container style market with space for, I think, what is it, eight or nine different restaurants. Uh, and so we decided to take a stand there as Bohemia Beagle. 
because as we were doing these various ghost concepts here at Kelly Brothers to get through the lockdown, Bohemia Bagel was by far the most successful of all the concepts that we tried here. Sure. So uh, this seems like a great way to slowly start expanding it. Nobody wants to you know, open up a huge restaurant right now until we see how things play out. But it's a nice, it's a nice way to bring the bagels from Holoshevitsa into the center where it's more accessible for everybody. Since it is a shipping container and it's a relatively small space, we're going to be focusing mostly on the deli sandwiches. Not so much the burgers, the Philly cheesesteaks or the breakfast or anything like that, but the full line of deli sandwiches. Just like we do it here at Cali Brothers. Uh, so that means, you know, anywhere from 150 to 200 grams of meat, tons of veggies, sauces made in-house every morning, just like how it would be back in New York and in Delhi. Mm-hmm. And that lets us get it straight into the center without people having to, you know, order all, from all the way out in Holy Spirit. Right. And, and bagels are also available there. Of course, of course, of course. Always, mm-hmm. always going to be fresh bagels every day. You just keep uh, coming up with new ideas and uh, expanding what you're doing and just uh, weathering the storm, but also using this as an opportunity to try new concepts and new things. Exactly right. When it's so hard to get anything done, people are thrilled when you get anything done at all. So right. this is a wonderful opportunity to be a little a little more aggressive with the creativity, to try things that may or may not work. No, mm-hmm. Nobody's going to bust your balls for trying something that didn't work in the middle of a crisis, right? In the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. You always have a good excuse if it doesn't work. But thankfully, most of our stuff has worked and hopefully we're going to keep pushing it higher and higher and better and better. So when you and I first met uh, back in, I guess it probably was 2018, at uh, Zuna, the sort of proto-manifesto, one of the things that you were quite passionately talking about was to make chili ice creams. Whatever happened with that? Jeez, I completely forgot that that was even a thing. (laughs) Thanks for bringing that up. That was not my project. That was a project of a friend of mine named Andrew. Andrew was the one making these, and his product was wonderful. He had been selling his ice creams, his chili ice creams, at like various street food festivals and stuff for a while. That's how, that's how we met up. And he had asked me if I wanted to go partners with him and help him turn it into a, an actual business. I said, that could be cool, but let's, you know, let's start slow. Let's you know, try to sell your stuff along with my stuff at certain places together and see mm-hmm. if it works out. In the end, it didn't. He's got a family. He's got kids. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. once he saw the amount of, you know, the time and resources that it takes to turn something of a hobby into a business. It's not that he decided he didn't want to do it. He just, he prioritized family, which is completely reasonable to me. Yeah. He, I mean, he was, he, he was on fire with the stuff. He was doing ghost, uh, vanilla ghost. He was doing a uh, like tandoori seven pot ice cream. It was wonderful, <laughs> really amazing stuff. Like, like just uh, preposterous shit, but phenomenal. Uh, really, really well done. Mm. He, he made a choice. Everyone makes a choice. Everyone who gets into the gastro business knows that it's a lifestyle change. They know it's going to take over everything that they ever do. And the family has to be on board. And look, I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be straight up with you. I, I, I love cooking. I love, even pro, like on a professional level, I love it. I love being in kitchens. I love making food for people. I love being shoulder to shoulder with my cooks. You know when the last time I fucking spent the whole shift in the kitchen was? Because I don't. It's been a while and it sucks. You know, but when you're managing and owning a place or multiple places, you're responsible for so many various things that you don't have time. There's physically no time to actually do the thing that brought you to this point, right? The cooking. That goes, that goes by the wayside. It's the first thing to go. Uh, 
American food is not just hamburgers. Even when the food of other countries goes to the United States, it transforms into its own thing. This is very often why, for example, we'll say Italian-American, Mexican-American. Go to Mexico and no one has ever heard of an Inchirito. That's a Taco Bell invention. Isaac Starobin is living here in Prague, has been for a number of years now, and is very much committed to bringing something of the breadth of the American culinary scene to Prague and Europe. He is the chef owner of Dirty Dog Barbecue, and he works with Europe Bagels SRO, which runs Cali Brothers, Bohemia Bagel, and Agave. And who knows what the future holds. Uh, thank you for talking to me today, Isaac. Uh, super interesting stuff. Now I'm hungry after this conversation. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, Derek. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. This was really great. Thank you very much. And thank you again, everybody out there for listening. Don't forget to check the episode notes for links to all of the places that we were talking about and for some images of the things we're talking about. Uh, make sure to check out the video version of this episode on our YouTube channel. Thank you for listening to this episode of Prague Times. If you liked this episode, be sure to like it or share it and tell your friends. Check us out on all of our social media platforms for extra goodies as well. Until next time, this has been Prague Times. <laughs>